We're going to Isaiah chapter 50 and we'll read from verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came was there no man, when I called was there none to answer. Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem, or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness, their fish stinketh, because there is no water, and dieth for thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Who is among you that feareth the Lord? that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire and that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. Amen. The Lord bless to us this reading from his word. Today's chapter is another in which the Lord Jesus Christ is clearly presented as the speaker to the view and understanding of the prophet. Isaiah knew who he was speaking about. He wasn't speaking about himself. He wasn't speaking uh, about uh, another uh, uh, ordinary person. He knew he was speaking about the coming Messiah. And we make no apology for finding Christ here in these chapters. The Apostle John tells us in John chapter 12 verse 41, These things said Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spake of him. Isaiah spoke of the Messiah who would yet come, who would come 
to establish his kingdom and save his people. But Isaiah understood also that the glory and success of Christ would be revealed not in his divine majesty. It would be measured not in terms of an earthly empire, but in spiritual growth. Isaiah understood that. Isaiah, let us remember, from the beginning of the the book of Isaiah, from the early chapters of this prophecy, Isaiah had seen the Lord high and lifted up when his train filled the temple. But he also saw the Lord whipped and punched and scorned and abused, as we discover here in this chapter and as we will discover in the chapters yet to come. Isaiah saw both these pictures of the Messiah. He saw the glory of God and he saw the suffering of the servant. And so Isaiah knows who he is speaking of. He knows that it is Christ who is speaking when he says here in verse 6 of chapter 50, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. I just want to pause on that for a moment. We know that that happened to the Lord Jesus Christ because the gospel writers wrote that down and told us that those very things happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was scourged, that that he was punched, that he was kicked, that, that they, they plucked the very whiskers from his chin, they plucked the, the, the hair out of his face. How painful that must have been. You men that shave know what it is to catch a hair. And the Lord Jesus Christ endured that. He endured the shame. We know that happened because the gospel writers told us. The people of Isaiah's age knew that happened because the prophet told them. It was still to occur, but they believed it. Just We were believing the same Jesus. We were looking to the same Jesus. There's a reason why Isaiah's prophecy is quoted and alluded to so frequently in the Gospels and the Epistles. You know what? Some people say that it is more than 400 times that Isaiah's prophecy is mentioned or alluded to in the New Testament. The reason is that the apostles, the writers of the scriptures, saw Isaiah's prophecy being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ right before their eyes. They were witnesses. And Isaiah's own age, because we can flip that around and we can say equally that that the men and women of faith in the time of Isaiah, the believing Jews, the remnant, the elect amongst the Jews to whom Isaiah was writing, 
they had Christ evidently set before their own eyes, just as much as we have today. God's elect have always discerned the Lord Jesus Christ, whether by type or example in the Old Testament, in person in the New Testament, or by the things written concerning him, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing we might have life through his name. There were only a very, very few in the, in the broad scope of time. Only a very few actually heard the words of Christ. But all that went before and all that went after, who are the Lord's elect, have believed through the things that have been written concerning our Saviour. This chapter, uh, just a little kind of aside here really or to, 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 to step on this stone as we're passing over but this chapter begins and ends with the Lord declaring man's guilt and the consequence of sin in the lives of men and women. It is identified as being separation from God, that's the bill of divorcement, sold under sin, taken into captivity and then at the end with a reference to uh, those who work their own righteousness, who kindle their own fire, and who live in the light of the sparks that come from that fire. Now, I'm not going to dwell on that today. I've got something else that I want to speak about. But I just want to, to not to ignore this fact about this judgment of sin, because it is the, the opening and closing of the chapter. So... I want us to notice it because it's an important point about culpability and responsibility. God cannot, God will not be blamed for decreeing man's sin and guilt. God is not the author of sin, nor is he the instigator of separation. It is our iniquities that separate us from God. It's man's sin that hides God's face from us. No one will ever say to the Lord, I didn't have a chance. You made me to destroy me. The Lord has every right to do with his creation as he will. But the clear teaching of the word of God is that judgment and death are the wages of sin, and the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It is for a man's own sin, for our own iniquity, that we will be judged and condemned to hell. For your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. In this carnal state, in this God-rebelling state that we are in by nature, men and women are content to remain. Except the Lord be merciful to us and rouse us from our sleep of death. By nature we love darkness. By nature we, we want to have our own righteousness. By nature... 
we would be in the dark with this fire that we've kindled for ourselves that we might live by the light of the sparks that come from it because our deeds are evil. Robert Hawker has a lovely little phrase, a lovely sentence on, on this point. Here's what he says. And it's a reference to this, the, the very last verse. This shall ye have of my hand that ye shall lie down in sorrow. Hawker says, what an awful darkness will that be in which men must lie down forever if they refuse all light to walk by but of their own kindling despising the light of Jesus who is the light and the life of this world don't try to make your own light in this world there is one who is the light of the world and let us seek by God's grace to find that peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah lifted up the Lord Jesus Christ to his hearers and he warned them of judgment, not only temporal judgment but eternal judgment. Let us be warned too. Some in a day to come will rest in Abraham's bosom will rest in the presence of Christ in everlasting joy and some will lie down in everlasting sorrow. Lord, give us grace that we might be thy people. I want to spend the rest of the time that we have today on three things given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Three things that were given to the Lord Jesus Christ that are spoken about in this chapter 50. Given to him in the covenant of grace that we've been speaking about by his Father. Covenant gifts, if you like, that came to the Lord Jesus Christ from his Father. The Father's end of the covenant. The Father's responsibility in the covenant on behalf of his Son. Three things that the Lord Jesus Christ attests here from this chapter. The first one is a skill that the Lord Jesus Christ had. The second one is a testimony that he was given. And the third one is an assurance that he received. Three promises granted to the Son for fulfilment of his own covenant duties in the work of redemption and salvation. So we're going to take these one by one and I'm just going to say right at the beginning they are not divided, I haven't divided my time equally over all three. The first one is by far the longest. So when I say here's the second one, don't worry, it's, uh, it, it's getting close to the end. But here's the first one, the, 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 the skill that the Lord Jesus had as part of the Father's covenant obligations to him. The Lord Jesus says in verse 4, The Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. What a wonderful verse that is. What a beautiful picture that is. The Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary weary. A wise tongue to speak a word in season was one of the Father's gifts 
to the Lord Jesus Christ in his mediator role in the covenant. And as I thought about that, I thought, is that not strange in some respects that he who is the eternal word because that is one of the titles of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the eternal word. He is the one who spoke in the, the eternal covenant. He is the one by whose voice, by whose word, all things came into being. All things were created. John, in his gospel, says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was was God. He's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ and by whom all things were made and are upheld by the word of his power. And then he goes on to say that he being made flesh and dwelling among us should uh, uh, be revealed to us. Now, how is it that he who is the eternal word needed to be given, needed to be gifted, the tongue of the learned. Was wisdom not simply an attribute of the Lord's divine nature? Where was the Lord Jesus Christ's own essential wisdom, his omnipotence and omniscience as God? What need... What need had the omniscient word for the tongue of the learned? And as I thought about that, I, th I, I, I thought that's the whole point of what Isaiah is doing here. He is showing us this revelation, this, this prophecy from Isaiah. He is showing us the distinction between the divinity of the eternal word and the needs of the God-man in his humanity and more in his humiliation. Yes, the Messiah was the true God whose glory Isaiah had glimpsed seated upon his throne when his train filled the temple. But the Messiah is also true man. And this grand distinction of the Godhead of Christ and the manhood of Christ is at the heart of Isaiah's teaching. Which is why, of course, he said back in those early chapters of, of the prophecy that his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. God in all his glory and yet here is that God whose back would be smitten, whose cheeks would be plucked, who would be punched and kicked by his enemies. In his human nature, the Lord Jesus Christ, let us remember, was a true and proper man. In all points tested as we are, yet without sin. Had he not been so, had he not been this true man. He could not have been a true and proper surety for his people. He could not have been a true and proper representative 
for his people. And he could not have been a true and proper substitute. In his human nature, the Lord Jesus was subject to the created laws of this world that he had created. The Lord Jesus Christ subjected himself to the very rules that base the laws of the world in which we live, its structures and its systems. He was subject to time. He was subject to space. He was subject to Mary and Joseph. He learned carpentry. He increased in wisdom and stature. He got tired, he got hungry, he got thirsty, always without sin. But that aside, a man like us with limits, with needs, with anxieties that come with our innate weakness and with our fallen humanity. The Lord was not Superman. The Lord was not even Adam. Where then did this ordinary man obtain his extraordinary abilities? How could he heal the sick? How could he perform miracles? How did he know men's hearts? How did he speak as never man spoke? By the enabling and by the equipping of his father who granted to him under his covenant obligations the spirit without measure. Do you remember what John the Baptist said of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's in John chapter 3 verse 34. For he whom God hath sent, they were asking him, they were asking John the Baptist if he was the Messiah. And John says, For he whom God hath sent, listen, speaketh the words of God. Christ didn't speak his own words. Christ was a mouthpiece for the Father. The man Christ Jesus was a mouthpiece for the Father. He speaketh the words of God. And then he goes on to give that little reference, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Lord's abilities, the Lord's skills, the Lord's miraculous powers were not his own, but were given to him in his manhood by his father. Christ's wise tongue to speak a word in season was an enabling to speak the message of God, the message that God had sent him to proclaim. The message to be revealed by Christ on earth. And in this sense, the Lord Jesus Christ was a prophet sent from God. We speak about him in these covenant roles of prophet, priest and king. He was the priest when he went to the cross. He was the king over the kingdom that he established and grew. But he was a prophet as well, speaking the words of God, revealing God to men. Without denying his divinity, 
And it was in this covenant role that he fulfilled all of these tasks. Being equipped in that role as a man with gifts, graces and indeed the very words to speak by his father. Which is why the Lord Jesus Christ can say in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. You see, these, this is what the Lord is talking about. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. And he goes on to say that he fulfilled that task in his high priestly prayer. I have given them the words which thou gavest me. And it won't come as a surprise to any of us, I trust, to learn that the message which Christ spoke was the gospel. Was the gospel. The gospel of God. Paul calls it the gospel of God concerning his son Jesus Christ. What did the Lord Jesus Christ preach? He preached the gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ. And Mark tells us, Mark chapter 1 verse 14. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Believe the gospel of God concerning his son Jesus Christ. So the father gave the son a wise tongue to speak. A wise tongue to speak. Listen, a word in season. What a beautiful thought that is. There's something in this reference. A word in season. A word in season is an appropriate word. It's a word for the moment. It's a word applied to a particular need. It's personal. It's individual. And this skill or this gift, the Lord Jesus Christ received of his father. It enabled him to speak to Nicodemus, the leader of the Jews, with an exquisite wisdom speaking of heavenly things it enabled him to speak to the woman at the well about her particular and personal needs it enabled him to confound the pharisees and the sadducees when they tried to trap him in their uh, their, their their little schemes their little trick questions and it left Pilate floundering in a dilemma of indecision. Christ's enemies could never say, could Christ's enemies could say, never man speak like this man. And it's an ability he still has, because the Lord speaks to his people a word in season. He speaks to us in the gospel. He speaks to us in the scriptures. He speaks to us in the preaching of the word. He knows our frames and he gives a word in season to his people according to our need. Perhaps it's a word to chasten us and rebuke and convict us in our conscience, 
when he speaks to us about our sin. Perhaps it's a word of encouragement when we feel cast down. Perhaps it's a word of comfort when we mourn. Perhaps it's a word of wisdom to use in a difficult situation. My prayer as a preacher is that the Lord will give me a word in season to pass on as a word in season to those who have ears to hear. And the wonder of the scriptures is that this is a living word applied by the Holy Spirit as a word in season to reveal to us the ways of God, the work of Christ, the identity of Christ, who he is, what he has done, to reveal to us the gospel of God concerning his son Jesus Christ. What happened on the cross, what, what, who this man was and what he has done. And to draw us to himself, to bring us under conviction of sin, bring us to peace with God, bring us to faith. Equip us to witness, to praise, to serve with a holy wisdom and in turn that we might speak with the tongue of the learned also. So that's the first point that I wanted to make. That here we have the Lord Jesus Christ saying that he received from his father a wise tongue to speak a word in season. Okay, remember what I said about not panicking. The second one is this, a testimony. The Lord Jesus Christ received a skill and he received a testimony. And the testimony was this, an ear that was bored to testify of a husband's love. Okay, what's an ear that's bored? Well, it's that little that little lobe in our ear that is pierced. That's probably what, it, what it's talking about. And this was another gift that the father gave to his son in the covenant role. It was a knowledge of his calling and commitment to his task. The Lord Jesus, the, the, the man Christ Jesus, from being a little boy to being a teenager to being in his 20s, all the way up to his 30s when he began his ministry. The Lord Jesus Christ had a knowledge of his calling and he had a knowledge of his commitment to the task that was set before him. The Lord Jesus Christ knew why he had come. And we read in verse 5 of chapter 50 here, The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Now this reference is not to being able to hear something. It's a reference to literally having our ears split. And it's a practice, it refers to a practice in ancient Israel where a servant who had served the years that he had to under the terms of uh, and conditions of his contract and was entitled to leave the employment of his master could nevertheless say, I'm content where I am. 
I love my master. I love my wife and I love my children and I will not go out free. These are the words of scripture under the terms of this opening of the ear. And what would happen was that the master would then publicly acknowledge the the words of the servant by piercing the servant's ear with an awl, with a, a needle, and he would be bound to serve him forever. He could no longer go out from his employment. So that for the self-same reason the Lord Jesus Christ here is bound to serve his master. His master, not because he was subordinate to God, but because he was in that subordinate role within the covenant duties that he undertook. He humbled himself and was bound to serve his master forever refusing to go back, refusing to go out from the service. Why? For the love of his master, for the love of his wife, which is his church, and for the love of his children, which were the elect that had been given to him to redeem. And though this duty as a servant required bearing our punishment, According to the will of the Father, yet the Saviour did not renege or turn back, saying, I set my face like a flint, I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. The Lord could have hid in the darkness of the Garden of Gethsemane, He did not. He stepped out and he said, who are you seeking? The Lord could have prevented himself from being scourged. But he was determined to follow through the obligations that he had undertaken. And this speaks of none else but the Saviour. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in obedience to the love that he had for his Father, the love that he has for his people, the Lord Jesus Christ came and fulfilled every demand of his covenant duty. It was a declared and public testimony made in the covenant, witnessed and attested because the all had been pierced to the ear and an acknowledgement and a statement had been made. And finally, here's our last point. The Lord Jesus Christ was given the gift of a learned tongue. He was given the uh, 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 reassurance or the testimony of the bored ear and he was given the assurance of the Father's help to carry his burden and face his foes. Verses 7 to 9 show us that the Lord Jesus was confident that through all his tests, all his trials and his troubles, he would be upheld by his Father and strengthened to the task that he had undertaken. And for his own encouragement, for the encouragement of the man Christ Jesus...
he repeats it to himself frequently. He says, Behold, the Lord God will help me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. This is the man who, who, who went out in the night and went into the mountain and knelt down and prayed to his father. This is the man who sought in prayer often the help of his God. And he testifies here. He has the assurance given to him that the Lord God will help him. And that was what gave the Lord his boldness. That was what made him brave to meet his foes. He looked his adversaries in the face. He called out those who would do him harm and do us harm. Our Saviour faced Caiaphas the high priest. Face to face, eye to eye. He faced Herod the king. He faced Pilate the governor of Rome's military might. He faced Satan. He faced hell. He faced the weight of the law. He faced the horror of sin. In his spotless soul he endured the horrors of that cup of wrath as our substitute and as our propitiation. Let our hearts be filled with admiration for the Lord Jesus. Let us consider him who was just like us, yet suffered so much in our place. And let us thank God for the help and support and encouragement that our Saviour received from his Father. When, for example, we read in Mark chapter 14 and verse 50, and they all forsook him and fled. We often repeat, All the promises of God in Christ are yea and in him. Amen. God's promises to Christ are his promises to Christ's people. God's promises to Christ are his promises to Christ's people. So that we who are weak and frail and troubled and weary may also, like the Lord, draw daily help from the comfort that the Father gives. Just as Christ drew daily comfort from his Father, so may we. We have to, on occasion, walk in darkness. We will endure loneliness and trials and doubts and fears. Every believer experiences such things. Yet the Lord has prayed for us to his Father, saying, about you and about me, about you and me. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Imagine the Lord Jesus Christ has prayed to his Father that you might trust in the name of the Lord and upon your God. If the Lord prays this for us, if the Lord prays this for us, Will the Father deny that prayer? Shall he not rather with him also freely give us all things? Brothers and sisters, let us be brave and bold. Let us be encouraged and comforted. Let us be dedicated and committed as becomes those who seek to follow their master and be like their Lord. And let us know 
that all the helps that were afforded to our Saviour in his covenant role will also be our portion from the Father who hears the intercessory prayers of his Son and delights to grant them all. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Amen.